It just brings back so many fond memories of our early years of marriage and sometimes present <laughs> yeah, days of marriage. I, you notice I ended up on the back of the track. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the way I like it. Well, this past week we um, were in our life group, and hopefully each and every one of you are a part of a life group. Um, and I just have to say, as I was watching, there was a video with uh, Rick Warren that we watched at our life group. And... I have to say, as I was listening to him tell his story of the yeah. early years in his marriage, I actually felt a little relieved. I thought, hey, there's so many worse off than we were. And look at him today. And just as he was going on and sharing and uh, the fact that at one point he ended up, yeah. I think, hospitalized because of the stress of his marriage, we haven't gone that haven't far. It's been yet, far, but not that far. You know, I have to say, the life groups, it was an, we had an amazing time. And I'm going to be honest at that day of our life group, I actually, I didn't really want to go. I wanted to stay home and snuggle in my bed and be with your husband, be alone and <laughs> snuggle in my bed and be all comfy. But you know what? We, I, I had to, he made me go. So we got up and we went and we had the best time. It was really a fantastic time. And we just fellowship with one another. We, you know, had some time of great conversation. So I just want to encourage you, if you're not already a part of a life group, it really is a great experience and it really helps you build relationships with one another and in your own life. That is the purpose. The focus of this series is building relationships. And that session, as she talked about listening to Rick, just makes you realize it's challenging for all of us. Great relationships are a challenge for all of us. They don't come easy to any of us on this planet until we get to heaven Because in heaven, would you write this down in your notes, pull out your sermon guide, and there's some things, if you write these down, they might help you remember something. But in heaven, there's no misunderstanding. Write that down. Until then, we all are going to be in a little bit of a fog. None of us sees and understands each other perfectly, which is what makes it challenging. It's during this time that we have to kind of live in what I call a fog, where things aren't perfectly clear, and this, this, is where cha- this is where relationships are tough, which makes you ask the question, well, why does God leave us here for heaven's sakes? Just take us to heaven. But there is intentionality on God's part. This is, the Bible makes perfectly clear that this life is a testing period. He wants it. He wants this to be the test. Gang, we're going to have enough perfection for an eternity. It's here and now that we get the opportunity to, to overcome, to love when it's difficult. It's here and now. Which, and write this down. On, life on earth is about learning to love. That's really what we're here for. And all of the battles that we have to, to overcome and to, to actually to learn to become a loving person, as Raquel and we've talked, probably told the story too many times of those tough years in our marriage, but how thankful I am that we worked through that and are continuing on occasion to work through it, but that we've learned to love and just appreciate each other. And today we're going to talk about the three laws of love. Number one is this, love validates our faith. Love validates our faith. 
is really what is what proves the fact that we really have the spirit of Christ in us. What is it that makes us different? We claim that Jesus Christ has changed our life. He's, he, his spirit has, we've been born again. We've received his spirit. We're different. We're changed. Well, how does that get proven out? Well, the Bible, look at the scripture underneath number one. The Bible says, let's read the scripture aloud, can we? If we say we love God, but hate others, we are liars. We've all lied before, haven't we? Yeah, we, because we, you know, this, this is in us. A funny thing happened just a couple of weeks ago. If you have more than one child, you recognize that they come out headed in a direction. They're all of their own. And if you have more than one, you realize they come head out in, in more than one direction. And you wonder, after about a third of the fourth one, you wonder, how did this come off the same factory line? I have no idea. But the, <laughs> David is our, our third child, and he is, from the time he's been born, has been so compassionate, just so compassionate, so patient with people, so loving that we just wonder, where did this kid come from? Where did he get this? And um, last night I looked at Raquel and I said, well, did, did he get that from you, honey? And she said, well, it sure didn't come from you. So I know better than to ask her that today. Um, but we wonder that. Where did he come from? And just a couple of weeks ago, I'm um, with him working. I had him, took him with me to, to work this job. And... Uh, as we're working together through the day, you know, we're just having conversation. And David, and at the age of 14, for him to recognize this is just astonishing. But it, he said to me, you know, he said, Dad, you know, I've noticed that when I see a group of young people that I don't know very well, or I don't know at all, he said, my first inclination is I don't like them. And I thought, isn't that fascinating that he, first of all, that he's even thinking about that. And it kind of surprised me because I'm like, gosh, I mean, I, I know that, that's kind of human nature, but for him to be able to recognize that and then how loving and how compassionate he is to everybody, I was kind of surprised that he even felt that way. But gang, and then we just had, Dave and I had a simple conversation about what the Bible calls the sin nature, human nature, apart from Christ that we all have to deal with. And we just talked about the fact that that, that is, uh, basically that's the, the reason for every war, every, every argument, every, all strife, every divorce, is that just that little bit of human nature in us that, that has disagreements. And, but here's the difference. Here's the fundamental difference. See, David, at age 14, already recognizes that's wrong. He knew something wasn't right, and he's learned you know, in these years to overcome that through Christ, overcome that. He prays, and he seeks God, and, and, and acts on God's love. But what's interesting is he still has that other nature in him. And the, the, what makes us different is not that we don't have that human nature. It's that we have found the love of Christ to overcome it. That's what makes us different. That's the love that validates our faith. And we're all going to have to be doing that. We're all going to have to be overcoming because we all have a little bit of stinker somewhere in the corner of our heart. We've all got, we all have a little bit of the, the naughty guy in there. But it's by the grace of God and his love in us that we recognize that and we overcome it. And we are not going to be, look at that verse again. Let's read it out loud one more time. If we say we love God, but hate others, we are liars. When we, when we have that little bit in our heart, we overcome it with the love of God and love validates our faith. Second thing, write this down. Love integrates my life. And this is one of the most amazing Bible verses. Um, I take the Bible to be God's word and I believe this is God speaking to us, but look at Colossians 3.14. 
Under number two, love is more important than anything else. There's an amazing truth right there. Love is more important than anything else. It, love, is what ties everything completely together. Look at that last part again. It, love, is what ties, everybody say everything. It ties everything completely together? Really, isn't that kind of a stretch? Is love really, you know, love and loving relationships? Is it really that important? Is it connected to everything? You know, our head would tell, no, I mean, it, for heaven's sakes, I can think of several things. It's not, I, I, I can agree it's important, but it's not connected to everything. I mean, it's not connected to your golf swing, is it? We'd say, well, no. What would Tiger Woods say about that? You guys, we all remember his story. But gang, it was only a little over five years ago uh, that Tiger Woods was the number one golf player in the world and had been so for 683 weeks. That is more than double any other golf player ever in the history of the world that that was ranked number one in the world. So that is just a, it's hard for our brains to comprehend. It's not like he was just a little bit above. He was freakishly above everybody else for 683 weeks, the number one player in the world. Anybody know what he's ranked today? I just looked it up this last week. He's ranked 321. He didn't go from one to two or one to 10. He went from one to 321. That's a pretty good drop, would you say? Well, what happened in the middle there? Well, we all know the story. There was a little bit of a public divorce and some public problems. And I was reading an interesting article, and this is First of all, I, I'm, I'm going to read you two parts of two articles. And the first one was just by a sports writer who just doesn't get it. You know, he's just, he just can't comprehend how Tiger can't just put it all together again. I mean, he was, this sports writer was following him during all those years. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, what we're seeing from Tiger Woods these days is hard to watch. It's hard on the eyes and it's hard to comprehend. His stunning descent from the best player in the world to Mr. Irrelevant seems to become more and more baffling each day because this guy each day is expecting Tiger just to get right back up, you know, where he was. Woods used to inspire awe in fans and fear in his competitors. No one ever expected that he would need our pity. And he goes on in this article again, just saying, you know, come on, Tiger, you know, pull it back together. It's been, that was five years ago. Just get over it. I'm going to read you now a different article from, again, this is a sports writer. This is not a Christian perspective it's in, from Golf Magazine, a different article. And here, this, he has a little bit different perspective, and I think this guy kind of gets it a little bit more. He says, it's been more than five years have passed since Tiger's scandal, and yet many observers now underrate the effect that it had on Tiger Woods, which this other writer certainly failed to understand its effect. The belief that Woods can regain his old confidence fails to recognize that he is no longer the same person. His entire identity and sense of self was taken away. Shame is among the most powerful of human, powerful and destructive of human emotions, and Tiger has been marinating in it ever since. The need to reinvent himself to start anew led him to remake his swing under Sean Foley, an experiment that clearly failed. It is revealing, it is revealing that now Woods is looking for salvation in video clips from his youth. If only it were that easy to start over emotionally. During his heyday, Woods could hit any shot and putted better than anyone else ever has. But what separated him from everyone else came from his heart and his head. 
His belief in himself was absolute and unshakable. Under pressure, he was the clearest thinker and the most resilient. So guess success begot success, but all of that is gone now. And the bottom line, if I could continue to read the article, is just the fact that real confidence ultimately comes from our heart. It's not just a skill set. It's something in our spirit. It's something in our heart and in our mind that can't, you just can't just bounce back to. And I think whether or not this author realizes that he's, he's testifying to what the scripture says, that love actually is what connects everything completely together. Let me give you one other illustration of love connecting and, and relationships, connecting things together that we think would not be connected at all. I'm going to read you a different article. This is from Forbes magazine about the economics of trust. Imagine going to a corner store to buy a carton of milk only to find the refrigerator is locked. When you've persuaded the shopkeeper to retrieve the milk, you end up arguing over whether you're going to hand over the money first or whether he's going to hand over the milk. Finally, you manage to arrange an elaborate, simultaneous exchange. The, a little taste of life in a world without trust. Now imagine trying to arrange a mortgage. Being able to trust people might seem like a pleasant luxury, but economists understand today that it's rather more important than that. Trust is about more than, more than whether or not you can leave your house unlocked. It, trust, is responsible for the difference between the richest and the poorest countries in the world. And they go on to explain in great detail how it's actually trust. Now, they wouldn't call it love. They wouldn't call it great relationships, but that's exactly what it is, that trust is actually what a healthy economy is built on. And they have amazing details of how it is the difference. And they just give details in the poorest countries how trust and loving relationships just don't exist. And where that doesn't exist, it just doesn't work. Again, whether or not they realize that they're testifying that what God said thousands of years ago is true, that love is actually connected to everything and it integrates your life. It brings everything together. It ties it all together. And sometimes we think, well, I'm just too busy. You know, I'm too busy to work on my relationships. I'm going to become a success and then, you know, and then I'll work on that. Gang, it doesn't work that way. The most successful people on this planet understand that love and trusting and loving relationships are integrated and foundational to everything, whether it's financial, emotional, spiritual, athletic, no matter what. It's a part that in God has ordained it this way, that a healthy heart and healthy relationships are a huge part of what makes us a success. Raquel's going to take the third one. And trust, you can't build trust without spending time and deepening your relationship with others. If you look at that verse under number three, it's 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And as Brian was talking about that trust, you know, and I was just thinking about, you know, that trust that is required in a relationship, in a healthy relationship. And the only way that you can build that trust is to spend time and to get to know and to work on those relationships. And how that leads into this verse that when we continue to show deep love for one another, that covers over a multitude of sins. I've shared my story many, many times about how my birth father, you know, the abuse that 
you know, I suffered at his hand. But I want to just share a little bit um, of his story, not my side of the story, but from, you know, what happened in his life. And I know his childhood wasn't, it wasn't the greatest, it wasn't the worst, but it certainly wasn't the greatest. And um, when I was very young, he had just led such a lifestyle that he, at this point, um, after I was born, he was an alcoholic, he was an abuser, he had, you know, sexual addictions and so many addictions in his life that kind of were overwhelmed to him and all encompassing and of course that leaked out into his family he he had four children with my mom and and I just remember live you know just always being afraid of him when I was younger but my my father was raised Catholic and my parents were part of the Catholic Church and but my father didn't have a relationship with Christ and in the early 70s during that Catholic renewal my my parents actually came to faith in Christ and my father my birth father came to a deep relationship with Christ God came in and did an amazing work in his heart I mean he went from being an alcoholic to not having a drop of alcohol and so many other things in his life and other vices that were controlling him he was literally set free and delivered from so much in the, in that moment when Christ came into his life. Now, in, in for the next two to three years, you know, we lived a fairly normal life, you know, with, you know, kind of a normal dad. And, and I remember that two or three year period of my life. But unfortunately, um, my father ended up falling back into all of those things that God had a huge hand in changing in his life. God literally did deliver him. I saw it with my own eyes. But like I said, he fell back into gradually into everything that he was delivered from. You know, and I, and as I've looked back and, you know, looked at my life and my father's life and through scripture, you know, I can identify where he went wrong. I can identify what happened in his life to help you know, to cause him to fall back into all of that. And, you know, my parents, we were a part of churches, and my father was a part of hearing the word of God, but there, was, there were pieces missing. You know, he was taught, you need to know as much of the word as you can. You need to hear as much of the word you can. And that was the only piece. Yes, we need the word of God, absolutely. But the piece that was missing for my father was those relationships. Being a part of a healthy church where they were building relationships within we, yes, we are to be the light of the world, but we also need to have deep relationships with other believers, and that is what's going to help us. And if you look at that verse again in First Peter 4, 8, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. He's talking about believers. We need to continue to show deep love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin. My father had no relationships with other people that he could trust, that he could share his struggles with, where they could come in and help him through those struggles. We all need people in our life. We all need people that are going to help us overcome and help us through those hard times, help us through those times of crisis. We're all going to have them. And if we haven't built relationships with other believers to help us through those times, we're not going to be able to make it. God created us to be relational people. And I can look back in my father's life and I can see how he isolated himself. And through that shame of his own sin and his own struggles, he continued to isolate himself. And then when you're isolated, that shame 
gets even greater. It's like a snowball effect, the isolation and shame, and so more isolation and more shame. And I saw that play out in my father's life to the point where he ended up living on the streets, an alcoholic, and dying on the streets from that isolation and shame. Even though God had, he had experienced Christ, he had, but because of that isolation and shame and drawing away from God's people, he ended up in a very, in a very sad place. And I, I know in my own life, I've experienced how through relationships with the body of Christ, God has used those relationships to bring healing, to bring forgiveness, to bring peace. And that's why that scripture is talking about that love covers a multitude of sins. Having people in my world that love me, that I can trust, helps me when I'm weak, helps me when I, when I fail, when I fall down. Those relationships, those people, through their love and their grace and their forgiveness, help pick me back up. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. I, it's always a concern anytime we share stories like, like from our own past and, and struggles and, and especially about somebody else. It's always a concern of mine that it would come across like we're saying, you know, look at this, look at this knucklehead. Um, when the fact is any story that we ever tell, especially if it casts somebody in a negative light, is simply to recognize that this is reality for all of us. This is the human nature that we all deal with. Every one of us have faced temptations when things don't go right. Uh, it is human nature just to kind of hide that and crawl in your own hole. That's, that's a temptation we've all faced, and we all need to be aware. And I know I feel this way. Uh, I don't feel one ounce uh, better, smarter uh, than Raquel's father. Uh, there, if there is a difference, it's because, and it's not because I even have necessarily more of the Bible in me. Uh, he had that but I do have relationships with people and I can't count the time when I've been tempted to be Mr. Idiot. And, and I have, and so have you. We've all, we all can testify that if we acted on every stupid thing that went through our head, we'd all be in jail together, right? <laughs> yeah, we would. Um, but I've been in healthy relationships and it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just goes through those waves when you're just having conversation and you don't even know that, it, that God's using it. But God, the Holy Spirit, is, is intentionally helping you hear things that you need to hear that come back to your heart and mind weeks and months later that in a moment where you would have acted out your idiocy, uh, he just heals you. He just brings you back to center. And outside of those relationships, you know, we're all kidding ourselves. Think, oh, I don't need that. I'm strong enough. You know, I'm strong enough. I got my Bible. Um, I, I said this before in, in life groups, and uh, without relationships... Now, here's, and this is, a, this is a terrible thing, but how many have proven that you can be a knucklehead with a Bible? You can. And actually, it's even uglier. When, when you're a jerk with a Bible, it's even uglier because don't take the Bible with you, for heaven's sakes. Now you're just beating people with your Bible. Good gracious, just, just be a jerk without a Bible, all right? If you're <laughs> no, we need, we need to love. We need loving relationships. Look at this final scripture on your list there uh, under number three. First John says this, uh, if we are living in the light, and this is, this is, it's an if, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, and that's the goal for all of us. Just stop right there. Is that, is that not the goal that we want to live in the light, right? How many recognize there is light and there is darkness in this world? You, you know, you wouldn't even need a Bible to figure that out, right? There is light, there is darkness. Do, do we realize that everybody, and I mean everybody, thinks they're in the light? 
how, how, do, you, how do you actually know? Um, it's not just because you do a good thing or two. Well, let's just continue reading and see what the word of God says. If we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then, interestingly enough, the first thing it calls out, we have fellowship with each other. We don't allow ourselves to get into that seclusion because we're all tempted to believe lies. It's universal. And once you start drawing back, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Even if you take your Bible with you, once you draw back, you're going to end up in darkness. If we have, then we have fellowship with each other. And those people, they are walking in the light. They have fellowship. They maintain. They keep pushing themselves out there. Whether or not it's uncomfortable, they stay connected with God's people. And then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, verse 8, the very next verse. So that verse 7 ends with us cleansed from all sin. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So I don't know if you know, you see this going back and forth and it goes, it flips again. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. I don't know if you can see this, but in these four verses, in a, and it was about a week ago, I was going through this before I even knew it would be in the series, and I just thought, I just took about an hour and a half just studying these verses and meditating and praying, God, show me this. It seems like, at first glance, it seems like these verses are schizophrenic. It's like they're going back and forth. In verse 7, we're cleansed from all sin. In verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're kidding ourselves. Verse 9, we're cleansed from all sin again. Verse 10, but if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. Which is it? Are we sinners or are we saints? Which is it? Yes, we're both. We're both. Just really quickly, just look at this. Um, these, verse 7, there's a cleansing. Verse 8, we're unclean. Verse 9, it's kind of this wheel. But actually, I mean, after about an hour of just studying this, and I just, Holy Spirit, just show me, verse 7 is really the key to the whole thing. Verse 9 is the most famous one of them. We've all heard verse 9. If we can, how many have heard this verse before? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Have we all heard that? But how many realize that's right in the middle? It's right sandwiched in between, in front and back, the fact that there's sin, there's uncleanness that's going to eat your lunch if, verse 7 is the real key to the whole thing. Verse 7 says this, if, and look at, there's, there's only one if-then statement. And if-then, if you understand just arguing logic, uh, if-then statements are really kind of the, the key to that. The whole key to it is verse 7. Verse 7 again, if, everybody say If. If we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. That's the key. Now, all I was ever taught as a kid, and all I ever, all I, the only, only one of these verses I ever heard in church was, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But just follow the, follow the logic here. Everybody thinks they're doing that. Everybody thinks they're confessing when they're wrong. But here's the thing. Once you get in darkness you don't realize you're wrong. And, you know, maybe we've told this story too many times, but there was a time in Raquel and I's life, and I think I was definitely leading the way, where we felt like divorce was the answer. I know I did. And I so clearly remember, you know, when you get mad, we all get angry. How many, how many have ever been mad before? You ever been angry? When you get mad, if you don't forgive, which is why the Bible places so much emphasis on forgiveness, we need to become professional forgivers, if when you get mad, if you don't forgive, you go mad. Do you know the trail to madness? It's madness. It's just that simple. Madness, getting mad, is the trail that leads to madness. If there's, if there's not forgiveness, somewhere between getting mad, you end up going mad. There's, there's one block in the middle. It's called forgiveness, all right? 
Well, I didn't, uh, you know, I could preach it, but I just couldn't do it. And I was going mad. And I had an experience just a couple years ago. I mean, probably, you know, several years after that temptation. And thank God, God delivered me out of that and, you know, set me free. Thank God I was in healthy relationships with other people. And the Holy Spirit used that to pull me out of my, my madness. But, if, but years after that, which would have been just a couple years ago now, I had an experience, and why the Lord did this, I don't know, but I had what I would call just a mini vision in my head where just the Lord just, I just had this picture, kind of a video play out of, and I know for a fact it was just the Holy Spirit showing me, Brian, this is what would have actually happened had you acted on your madness. Because in my mind, I had the picture. Oh, yeah, it was going to be awesome. I was going to go out there, find me some sweetheart who would just understand me and love me and just think I was awesome. That's, you know, my mind. And, and then everything, upon, everything after that was just going to be glorious and perfect and wonderful, and everybody was going to understand, and it was just going to be one awesome picture, and I was going to be the king of everything, right? Well, I just had this experience where the Lord showed me, and when he showed me what, how it would have played out, that wasn't how it played out, oddly enough. Oddly enough, so many things that I didn't even understand were related. Remember that scripture we read earlier that love integrates our life? I had no idea how many threads were connected. My, in fact, just, I, just, I just saw when I was saying this that my own confidence in God, which is really the foundation of my life, my own confidence in God, how that would have been rattled had I walked out. Now, friends, I'm not saying if, if you're here and you've been divorced, don't, I'm, don't misunderstand where I'm going. I'm not saying that divorce is the end of your life or the end of your you know, faith in God, but I'm just saying in my life, what would have happened? I hold my own confidence in God. My understanding, first my confidence in God, and I just, he just showed me this, my, my understanding of who I am. Who am I? See, my understanding of who I am comes from this, this is the identity. I serve where God puts me. I serve, I sacrifice, I lay down my life where he puts me. That's the foundation of my identity for who I am. And once I walk out thinking I'm going to find this greater world, he, he just showed me, no, that's not where that was going, Brian. That is, that's not where they was going. How about my other relationships? Here's a funny question. Don't answer this out loud. All right. If I lose Raquel, if I had done that, do I still have you? And I know what we want to say. We want to sit here and say, oh, yeah, Pastor Brian, you're awesome, man. You're my pastor. I'm with you, man, to the end. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but you know what? You can't really say that because a funny thing happens when, when, you, when you walk, when you start a little bit in darkness, it's a funny thing happens to, to the people around you that, that you can't quite factor in. That when somebody starts uh, down a little trail of, of darkness, and especially a leader it's hard for you. you. You come and you just want to lock into Jesus and worship Jesus and you close your eyes and you want to get into Jesus and while you're into Jesus, this little voice in the corner of your head says, where's this bus going anyways? I don't think that guy at the wheel is driving down the center anymore. And it, it's just a long story. I don't have time to go through the whole experience, but what was made perfectly clear was how many hundreds of other relationships were affected by, and, and I just didn't see that. There was more detail as to what played out. And again, I'm not suggesting that it would have been that God would have given up on me and he was showing me that, you know, that my life was over. But he was showing me very clearly that, Brian, you were deceived. You were believing a lie. And today, oh, I am so thankful. I am so thankful that I didn't act 
on my insanity. And it is so obvious to me today, so obvious looking back that I was just in the darkness. Now, let's be clear. I was still confessing my sin to God, what I thought. But see, when you're in the darkness, you don't see it. You don't see the real dark stuff. You don't see it because it's clear to you. It's just, you know, you're, you're fine. It's that, it's, that, it's that other person. So what was my salvation? Well, God, the Holy Spirit, was the one who brought light to me, but I'll tell you, it's black and white. I was still in relationship with other people outside of my marriage. See, the Bible says the two become one. And if you think, oh, we're okay. Well, I'm in a relationship. It's me and my wife. You know, we're in a relationship. Well, the two become one. You're going to need relationships outside of that one, I promise you. And I had, I had other relationships with other people. And in talking to them, I found out, lo and behold, it's challenging for everybody. Ah, and the Holy Spirit used these amazing conversations to make me realize, ah, it's not just you, Brian. It is a challenge. And now looking back, I realize I was believing so many lies. It's not even funny. I mean, it's, it's almost weird to me now looking back at that guy saying, how could you be so blind? How could you believe those lies? And today we are. I am so in love with this woman and we really are. I, I, I'm not just saying the right thing. I really, I'm so thankful and I, I feel so loved and I am so loved and I was loved back then. I was just a blind idiot. But what, if, you, if you're following me, what these scriptures are saying, by the way, go, go back to the, the verse, the slide before that, William. What these verses are saying, the reason why there's unclean on both sides of your cleansing is the fact that what these verses are saying is don't kid yourself. No matter how far you go with God, as long as you're on this planet, the little idiot is still with you. <laughs> don't, don't smoke that pipe. And oh yeah, I'm all righteous now, man. It's just me and Jesus now. It's you, Jesus, and the little idiot. He's still there. And don't get to kidding yourself that, oh man, I've just arrived. The little idiot will bite you <laughs> at the wrong moment. Just, but just staying aware of that. Just staying aware of that and staying in relationships. So where does that land us? I hope, I pray that you won't, because here's a temptation we all have, just to kind of seclude ourselves. We're all busy. I'm pleading with you to get into a life group. Get into a life group where, because even, even though you kind of even maybe have some relationships, how often do you actually talk about serious things like this? Here's what I found. Until you're forced to talk about things like this, you don't. How often do they come up? I mean, really, you know about relationships. You just don't go to places like that. But see, life groups are designed to force conversations like that. And there you find yourself talking about things and the Holy Spirit uses those things to heal your own heart. So yes, I am encouraging you uh, to get into a life group, uh, to jump in, and not just life groups, but just develop, keep pressing, keep forcing yourself out and developing relationships. Let's wrap this up. Can we just bow our head and close our eyes for just a minute? And we're going to pray and be dismissed today. But just before I do that, I want to ask a simple question and just pray for you. I'm going to ask if you're here and you recognize right now that either A, you are already more secluded than is healthy and you know it. You're more solitary than is healthy, than is correct, than God would have you. Or B, you recognize that strong temptation right now. You recognize a temptation to start crawling in your hole, temptation to hide. 
If either of those are true, nobody's looking around, but if that's you, would you just lift your hand right there where you see it? Just raise your hand. Say, that's me. Father, I just want to pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we're raising our hands because we recognize your Holy Spirit is showing us this temptation. And God, we just ask in the name of Jesus Christ that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you, Lord, bring us into the light. Help us to see the light. Help us to walk in the light. Lord, help us to push ourselves forward to get into those relationships. God, we want to walk in the light. It's impossible without your people. So I just pray in Jesus' name that we won't believe lies, we won't walk, we won't follow those temptations, we won't seclude ourselves, but God, we will walk in fellowship. Guide our steps, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.